I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 39. Now, I know for many of you that probably strikes uh, or rings a bell in your brain saying this is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and you're absolutely correct. However, what I want to do is I want to take a look at uh, Elijah, his heart, and how it's all related to revival. Read with me uh, 1 Kings 18, beginning with verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I came across an interesting quote from one Samuel Chadwick, the English uh, minister at the end of the uh, 1800s, early 1900s. And his, uh, this quote I came across said this, truth without enthusiasm, morality without emotion, ritual without soul, are things Christ unsparingly condemned. Destitute of fire, they are nothing more than a godless philosophy on an ethical system and a superstition. Destitute of fire. Those were the words that caught my attention. Chadwick condemned empty religious formalism, empty religious tradition. That was indeed the sin of the Pharisees, that they went through all the ritual, they went through all the formality, but yet they were devoid of the power of God. And a study of the scriptures will show us that God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And it is not because they have a secret formula. I'll just say to you, I am not one for those who might advocate you know, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll experience the presence of God. It's not the formula. It's the heart. Everything about worship rises and falls with the heart. And what it is, God uses ordinary people who have a deep and burning desire in their heart for God. Church, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that we cannot, we collectively, believers in Jesus Christ, we cannot be destitute of fire for God. We need the Holy Ghost fire of God at this time in history. So today I want to look at one man with a heart for God who literally prayed fire down from heaven. That man is Elijah the prophet. And I want to examine three elements regarding his revival prayer. We're going to explore the request, the response, and the result of Elijah's prayer. Look at verse 36 and 37. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. We see in Elijah's prayer in one of the darkest, darkest days of Israel. Pagan worship had infiltrated Israel. Syncretism was the rage. Israel was worshiping pagan gods, pagan idols, and had integrated that into the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. Wicked leadership ruled the land with King Ahab and Jezebel on the throne. False prophets abounded. First Kings 18 tells us that there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And it was not in style, make no mistake, to be called a follower of Jehovah, the God of Israel. The man of God, the prophet of God, is called by King Ahab the troubler in Israel. Right was called wrong. Wrong was called right. It sounds exactly like what is happening in our in our day and age today, we see darkness ruling and, and pervasive darkness being called for and advocated, not only by academics, but by our very government itself. We, we have wicked rulers in power, and darkness rules the land. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. And speaking for my country, the United States, we, we, are we are a reproach in the world because of our sin. And the reproach of sin mars this nation and in the Western world as it did in Israel in Elijah's day. God had not given up on his people, Israel, and sent them a prophet, a praying man with a heart for God. And church, God has not forgotten us and has placed us precisely at this moment in history. God has raised ministries like Sermon Audio, like this very, very simple prayer call at noon, at noon every day, in order that we God's people will reach out to the Lord and cry to the Lord for revival. But it's important to remember that before we prevail upon the ear of the Lord, we must prevail upon the heart of the Lord. And we must be like Elijah, sent from God and raised for this dark hours. Brothers and sisters, we may enjoy the fellowship and the friendship of this call, but our Lord Jesus Christ commissions us to pray, to contend for righteousness, and to contend for his church. We are to be warrior prayers, praying that God would be glorified and that the glory of Christ would return to his church. We call this revival. We see in Elijah's prayer in verse 36, this is a life and death confrontation for him. I hope you realize this. If God did not send fire from heaven, he would have been killed. And as he prays, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day, that I am God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and I have done all these things at thy word. Elijah prays for God's glory. He prays for the honor of God and the name of God. 
and he boldly confesses all uh, before all those wicked uh, prophets that he is a slave. That is the word he uses. He is a slave of the one true God. And secondly, in verse 37, he prays, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. These two requests of Elijah should be written on our hearts. Let it be known that thou art God, the one true God. And two, that this people would know that thou art God and turn our hearts back to God again. Dear friends, what other reason do we have to assemble here? We do not need to tell what to do and how to do it and when to do it. It is not our God sovereign. It is not our God omniscient. If we genuinely gather to pray for revival, we need hearts that desire God's honor and glory to be revealed and that God would turn his people's hearts back to him. And let me emphasize, beginning with ourselves and our churches, we need to turn our hearts back to God. We need to become consumed with God. So we see the request. Let's take a look at the response in verse 38. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the, in the trench. Now I want you to note what fell from heaven. Holy Ghost fire. The purifying fire of God, the power of God, revival fire fell from heaven. Isn't it similar to what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? When it's written, and there appeared to the, unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon them. This revival fire that descended did several things. The first thing it did is it consumed the sacrifice. It devoured the offering. We have to think of this sacrifice similar to those of us who pray for revival. I can't help but be reminded of Romans 12.1. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Think about it for one moment. If we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, not dead sacrifices, not destitute of fire, not intellectual sacrifices that we accumulate knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, but living whole sacrifices that God would have every single piece of us. That when revival comes, it will consume us. All will be for Christ, and Christ would be all in us. I love this statement by Leonard Ravenhill. He says, God does not want partnership with us. God wants ownership of us. 
not only did it consume the burnt sacrifice, but it consumed the wood. And the wood on the altar was used for energy, right? They were going to light a fire. But notice that the fire didn't start conventionally. Instead, the fire was created by God. The wood is our work and our efforts. And when the fire of God descends upon our actions, our energy is replaced by the power of God. Thirdly, it consumed the stones. The stones were symbolic of God's heart for the 12 tribes of Israel. And we can think of rocks figuratively as complex objects in our lives. And God empowers us through the revival fire to overcome through his grace the hard objects. When revival comes, repentance comes. And it is through repentance that God's purifying power overcomes the hardness of sin in our life and the complexities of our life. It consumed the dust. Dust is the useless things in our life. And one other important point, the Lord God tells us that it licked up the water in the trench. Figuratively, the water represents the impossible. Think for a moment with me. Now, Elijah prayed for fire, but he doused the wood in the altar with buckets of water. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that if you want wood to burn, the last thing you want to pour on it is water, especially soak it in water. But the prayer of the righteous does availeth much. The prophet of God with the right heart for God prayed, and the revival fire that descended from God overcame every impossible circumstance that was before it. So what was the result then? We looked at the request, we saw the response, but what was the result, especially on the people? Look at verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Actually, they cried, Yahweh, Yahweh is God. He is God. And we see clearly what happened when revival came. All fell on their faces and praised God. The people confessed that there was one God, that God is Yahweh. He is God. Elijah knew and was convinced that Yahweh was God before the fire even descended. And the question for us are, is, are we convinced as we set our faces to pray for revival, our hearts must be right before God. Everything is not right in the world. You know that, and I know that. Yes, these are times of powerful, powerful demonic oppression and influence. Right is wrong, wrong is right. And many in the church are sleeping at the wheel. But if you look at the history of revival, revival always occurs in times of darkness. But my friends, God is still on the throne. The same God that sent fire from heaven in the days of Elijah, the same God that sent fire from heaven during Pentecost, the same God who broke the Reformation, the God of Peter, Paul, and John, 
the God of Hush and Luther and Calvin, the God of Wycliffe and Tyndale and Knox and Wesley, of Spurgeon and Moody, of Tozer, Ravenhill, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. This God does not grow weary. His arm is not short that he cannot save and his ear dull that he cannot hear. Samuel Chadwick made this comment about Elijah. He said this, he prayed with prayer. He prayed in his prayer. This is to say he did not say prayers. He prayed in praying. His whole personality was in his praying. And he really wanted what he asked and fervently meant what he said. Dear friends, let us pray in like manner. This is day 770. Let us not grow weary in our prayers. Let us not be distracted in our prayers. Let us pray more diligently and urgently. And let us prepare our hearts by faith that we believe that God will reveal his glory and that God will turn the hearts of his people back to him. Let us pray that God will yet again send revival fire. Amen.